Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. You know, you're given an assignment sometimes that's uh, a bit daunting and overwhelming, and you would just as soon take it back. Remember Moses? He he was called to lead the people of Israel. He had every excuse under the sun not to. Um, you come up with those opportunities or those challenges or those callings on your life when you you're, you need to go do something. You're the person, and 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 yet you don't want to. Well, I'm kind of in one of those moments right now. Uh, I don't want to talk about what we're talking about today. It's not going to be an easy topic, especially if you're in the midst of it. And you'll know what it is in a moment if you don't already know what it is. But when you get into those, into that it, that it takes over, that it almost erases rational thinking, that it uh, begins to become a part of who you are, that it is with you when you go to bed, it is with you when you wake up in the morning, that it is crazy. No, it's not crazy. It is it is beyond that. It is a part of this world in which we live that it brings it out on us. We're talking today about anger management. And anger is the word there. Anger is one of those things that just takes over. It consumes us. It, it can become like a cancer, become like a poison. That whenever it has its way in us, and Jesus doesn't have his way in us, it becomes a life of its own. You're, you're, when you have that conversation and, and, and you're in the midst of the emotions, it's really hard to hear it, okay? It's really hard to hear, this is where my role maybe comes in today, is it's really hard to hear somebody give you instructions on how to be angry because you're angry and it's justified. And you're angry and that person did this and that person needs to be made right or this things need to be made right. And, and it's really hard to push back. And, and then whenever you're a deliverer, because it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a synergy that's happening. There's the deliverer of a message and then there's the receiver of the message. And if the receiver is not ready to receive that message, then the deliverer's in trouble. If, if the deliverer doesn't deliver the message with the right grace and truth, if it's too much grace and not enough truth, it'll all be watered down. And they'll think, what, what, what was he talking about? What was she talking about? If it's too much truth and not enough grace, then it becomes hard and, and abrasive. And you don't understand me. And you need to live in my skin and be more empathetic and so forth. But whenever the message is delivered well, and it's received well, it creates a synergy, a beautiful thing that can be a game changer. A game changer in the world, a game changer in relationships and marriages and a game changer on the job. Somebody just told me uh, out, out in the, from the first gathering that they have to face this challenge every single day. Their job is this very thing of conflicts and dealing with them on a very high level. Whenever people deal with conflict in their families, Sometimes they take on, or even on the job or wherever, they just have the personality, we're just moving on. They didn't deal with the issue, but we're just moving on. It's the past is the past, but we're just moving on. The problem with that is when you move on, it moves with you. That, that as bad as aggression is, suppression is equally bad. 
Whenever you suppress anger and you don't deal with it, when you're aggressive with your anger and you don't deal with it properly, then we have lots of problems on our hands. So let's just all face the reality. Let's have some self-awareness, whether you're in the heat and the thick of it right now. Maybe you had an argument in the car on the way to church. I know that never happens in your family. It did in ours when we were having kids all the time. But let's all face the reality and be self-aware enough to know that we all have an anger issue. We all Either we're dealing with it or we are explosive or we're, or we're, we're, it's in the past, but it still lingers into the present. And so maybe we could just level the playing field today and just face the music that anger is an issue in life. And so anger is an issue in my life. And so I'm going to start it and I want you to chime in if you can be so bold as to do that. Hey, I'm Mike and I have an anger issue. All right. Who are you? All right, and all right, some of y'all are a little weak on that. You're not convinced you have an anger issue. That other person has the issue. You don't have the issue. I get it. I get it. It's, the, it's always the other person. Uh, we just talked in the Beatitudes. We talked, talked, kicked off the Sermon on the Mount in the first of the year, and we talked through the Beatitudes in a couple of weeks. I'm not going to go retell that, but it's really the process of becoming this broken individual, poverty of spirit, to becoming a kingdom of heaven child of God. And that whole process, again, go back and listen to those messages and the beauty of, of how God takes us from the brokenness to the beauty of being a kingdom of God. Even though life is going to be hard and full of persecutions and difficult people are going to abound in life. But we have in this whole relationship with Jesus, a life transforming work of God. Now, the beauty is, we talked about this last week, there's a cause and effect. The cause is, we, I'm a child of God and I am in a relationship with God and I'm an apprentice of Jesus and, and I'm living into that. And then there's the effect of that, that I become salt in this world and I become light in this world. And again, message last week, if you're your first time with us, you're kind of jumping in midstream, hang on, go back, catch up, and we will, we will we'll be together on this journey as we will be here until Easter. So let's continue through the Sermon on the Mount. So be finding Matthew chapter 5, where we'll be in just a moment, and I want to read our passage for us that is, has been called, the interpretive key. That's a pretty big phrase, right? The interpretive key to unlocking the Sermon on the Mount. And hopefully it'll make sense if I can figure out the combination, make sure the combination is communicated well to unlocking this, this passage of scripture. And it's just a few verses. Verse 17 to verse 20 is where we're going to look at for just a moment, just to kind of give you the key that's going to unlock the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. But you got to understand that this whole Sermon on the Mount is about, and really the whole book of Matthew is about Jesus fulfilling something, okay? Jesus fulfilling something. So let's read the passage and then we'll come back and break it down just ever so quickly. Uh, verse 17 says, do not, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Circle the word fulfill, okay? It's a very important key word in this whole thing. For truly I say to you that until heaven and earth are passed away, not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. 
Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in, uh, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them, notice the does them, teaches them part. We'll come to that in a second. They'll be called great. Circle the word great. We're talking about going from good to great. Here it is. I become a great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the most religious of the day, you will not You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That had to be daunting words as Jesus is laying it up, enticing them in. But understanding the word fulfill that I had you circle a moment ago is so important. In the first five chapters, there are seven statements of fulfillment in the book of Matthew. Pointing to what? Pointing to the fulfillment of the law and fulfillment of the prophets. We know this, that God fulfills his promises. The law, when you think about the, the, the first five books of the Bible, our Old Testament professors in the room today, and we've been t- studying that last week, the whole idea of the Torah, that, that law, and that God, Jesus came to fulfill the law. He also came to fulfill the prophets. When you think about the law, the law was the moral code of conduct, if you will. Jesus was sinless. He lived a sinless life. He was spot on each time. But he also fulfilled the prophets, and the prophecies of Jesus, that Jesus was coming. And all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 is the very first prophetic message that that a Messiah is going to come. Jesus is the fulfillment. Now, now think about that. 4,000 years from Jesus' birth back to Adam and Eve in the garden, or just outside of the garden. 4,000 years. And I want to say, God is good on his promises. He's just slow on them. All right? And I don't know what, what promise that you're hanging on to right now, but his promises aren't always fast, but they're always on time. Okay? So realize that whatever he's, you're hanging on to, it is a true and it will be true. God fulfills all of his words. All right? It, notice the, the, these little strange little phrases in there, iota. The smallest Greek letter is an iota. Okay? It's just a straight line. You might think about it, just a lowercase l. And then he uses a Greek word, Korea, for the dot, which could be referenced back to the smallest letter in the Old Testament, which is Yod in the Hebrew language. So you got the smallest strokes and the smallest letters. Jesus is fulfilling it down to the little stroke of a pen. That's how Jesus is so committed to completing What he has said, I believe this, that as God gave the word of God to the original writers, it was inspired, it was inerrant, and it is infallible for us to this day that we can bank our eternity on this book, right down to the iota and right down to the yodes of the Bible. But also, I believe that when you look at this passage, you see how God has a plan that he's moving us from good to great. And I've pointed it out to you already when you look at verse 19. It says, whoever does them and teaches them. Whoever is a disciple that makes a disciple. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now the scribes and Pharisees, they were, if you will, the morality police of that day. 
They had their 248 commandments and their 365 prohibitions. There's 613 ways of which you're going to have to live up to if you're going to live out the commands of God. But they were missing it. It wasn't just about a bunch of do's and don'ts. God's commandments aren't about us just fulfilling them, checking them off the list as if you're just doing them. It's about living them. It's about from the heart. Remember I said last week, greatness doesn't come from the outside in. That's the Pharisee's greatness. Greatness comes from the inside out. And whenever you understand that in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, he says, the Lord God will circumcise your heart. Let's work on the inside. And the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. Notice the heart theme here. With all your soul, with all your, that you may live. See, here's the thing. That's repeated in the New Testament. That's what Jesus is talking about when the great commandment. Jeremiah 31, 33. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. The work of God's word is in our hearts. It's something that we not only, we, we, we practice it, but we teach it and we pass it on. Now what he does next, this is why I say this is the interpretive key to the whole thing. He gives us the, the importance of the Old Testament and how he came to fulfill the Old Testament. But then what he does is, is he then gives six exegesis, examples, if you will, of what it means to, when I talk about the law, this is what I'm talking about. When I talk about God's rules, this is what I'm talking about. It's not just that you, that, that you do it like this. You've heard it said. In fact, that's how it's, Done. He, he mentions it. This is the outline. Six of them. You have heard it said. When you look at uh, verse 21, pop that verse up there. You have heard that it was said of those of old. And then he talks about murder. But I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. So what Jesus does is he moves us from good to great. He moves us from, hey, you've heard it said, to this is what I'm saying. Jesus is giving us, if you will, a higher standard, but I want to say it more like this. He's giving us the complete, the whole standard, his original intent. But you notice here, he goes from murder in one verse to angry in the next verse. That's a big jump, Jesus, right? Unless we understand that the process of murder happens from a heart of anger. Here's what we need to understand. Here's what we need to unpack today. What does it mean to be angry? Maybe I should rephrase that. We know full well in America what it means to be angry. There's more anger brewing in our land than I have ever seen in my 55 years on the planet Earth. There's more anger in schools. There's more anger in work. There's more, there's more workplace violence. There's unruly airline pay, uh, passengers. The social media bullying, the road rage, things that people can say and do at 70 mile an hour driving down the road, people cut in front of somebody at a grocery store, whatever it may be. Politicians are like spoiled brats that have lost a sense of human decency that are ungodly and appalling in conduct. Those closest to you can also be some of the people that are the angriest. What do you do with anger? As children of God, we have a different standard. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. I'm taking you back before we can move forward. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Read it with me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now we're going to lean into what it means to be a peacemaker. Now we're going to talk about what it means. Because what it means is real time is that we, you develop peace from a state of war. From a state of disruption, from a state of anger, from a state of brokenness. That's when you, that's when you gotta insert peace. So as you think about that, if we're peacemakers, if the birthmark of a, a believer of Jesus is a peacemaker, what does a peacemaker do? How does a peacemaker function? Well, there are th- four moves that I want to see. Uh, Jessica read the passage. I want us to break it down now. I want us to see it real quickly here. One is we gotta choose anger wisely. Choose anger wisely. If I was to draw a continuum uh, here of, of, of being offended, okay? Now, there's a lot of offense happening out there. We're, I'm going to use from the rest of this message, offended and offender, okay? The offended. You can go on this end of the spectrum as you missed my birthday. You didn't like my photo. Or, 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 or you can go on this end of the spectrum. You cheated on me. You abused me. And my friends, there's a long gap between there, but there's probably an infinite number of offenses that can fill up that, 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 that distance. So there's, there's no way, and I'm just saying this so that you can say, I'm not going to mention probably your offense. I'm not going to mention how you've been offended. But just realize this, we need to choose anger wisely. Anger is a natural emotion. It's a part of being human. It's what a part of what God gave us as a part of our makeup. But there's a responsibility and there's an accountability to the offended, okay? So he's going to talk at times, sometimes about the offended. He's going to talk at another time about the offender. So let's talk about first about, about the person who has experienced an offense. Now, I, this is why I didn't want to give this message today. is because I realize in the amount of offenses, in the amount of pains, in the amount of abuses, I may not, in a matter of a limited amount of time, I want to handle it with grace, but I may miss it. Would you give me some grace? I don't want to make you mad, (laughs) but I realize that, that that's a reality whenever you're dealing with this. So let's talk about the offended, because if you're offended, you're hurt. If you're offended, you've been abused. If you're offended, you've been neglected. If you're offended, trust has been broken. How how do you live in this? Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Well, this should be a warn. There's a warning over anger that we're going to have to realize that there is an accountability with our anger. And notice this, he calls it to our brother to our sister, to those closest to us, to our family members, to our friends, our friends, the people who are close to us, maybe the very ones. But understanding that anger is this, very important, very important, is a secondary emotion. It is actually a response to a primary emotion that happens. 
You feel sadness, you feel betrayal, you feel hurt, you feel, you feel abandoned, you feel humiliated, you feel rejected, you feel guilt, you feel sadness, you feel fear. That's a primary emotion, but what, how it manifests itself out in our relationship can be anger. And what happens is, is we just let anger become the main issue when it's not the main issue. What we've got to understand is what's going on underneath and unpack that. And we choose to be angry. We may not choose sadness. We may not choose fear. We may not choose betrayal, but we choose anger, choose it wisely. We choose what we do with our anger. Do be angry and do not sin, Paul said. Rachel Den Hollander is a person that I have come to admire when she changed the world on accountability from sexual offenses. And I realize there's young ears in the room, so I will I will now code everything this point forward. Whenever in August 2016 she blew the whistle on a Larry Nasser, and you can probably just remember some of current affairs and remember what happened at that time. Rachel's full stories in a book and what happened is she triggered something in that whole system in Michigan where not only did it happen to her, but it also happened to hundreds of other athletes. And because of that, it became a major process. And by December 2017, Larry's sentencing happened and 200 women were in the courtroom on that day of his sentencing to give him a piece of their mind, speak to him. Rachel Den Hollander was the one who was probably the most articulate. She had written out hers 5,820 words. You can find it online. She, in the middle of it all, in the middle of the pain that she is processing through, in the middle of the hurt and the brokenness that she personally is going through, in the middle of so much that she says, she makes a statement that I want to zero in on. She says, what makes the gospel of Christ, clearly she's a follower of Jesus, so sweet? Because it extends grace, hope, and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. Speaking of Larry, I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance, true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend it to you as well. I I delicately walk in this space right now to those who have been hurt deeply like a Rachel. And there's a lot of other hurts out again out there that you might have experienced. What she does is she controls her anger and channels it for the good and becomes a spokesman and advocate for people. Listen, what we might experience below the surface comes out in anger, but how can we control it? Because if you remember what I just read, we will be accountable, verse 22, for the anger 
that we express. But here's the redemptive work of God. That even though Larry was unrepentant, even though there was all that brokenness going on, she is still offering forgiveness. Isn't that the Jesus way? Romans chapter 5, verse 8, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, by the way, he loved us and he died for us. So choose anger wisely. If you don't, it will become a part of you. It will control you, consume you. It will become everything that you are. And you will then, number two, move to weaponizing your words. And don't do that. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22, an angry person starts fights. It's a person who's lost control of their anger. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. Here's a life principle for you. Angry people produce angry people. It is. It becomes almost an uncontrollable, uh, almost crowdsourcing of anger, if you will. When you have an angry person who's wanting to get a team, a tribe, a people who are wanting to attack a somebody, again, justified or not justified, we're not going to go there right now. I'm just dealing with the person who's, who's carrying the offense. If I carry that anger forward, it becomes a part of me and becomes a part of my words and becomes a part of the actions of my life. Psychologists have called this cognitive bias, where we become and we get people on our team and all of a sudden, it was just a little spark, but it becomes a forest fire. James chapter 3, verse 6 says, a spark, a tiny spark, can set a whole forest on fire. And then it becomes restless, evil, full of deadly poison. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be very wise where we allow our anger to take us. We've got to be very wise about that because right behind that is if we're not careful, we will weaponize our words and death and life are in the power of the tongue. Verse 22 goes on and unpacks it even further to another level that we begin to insult our brothers. We be, we're liable. We be, and then we also call them fools. The word fool there is the word moray, which is where we get our English word moron. We literally call them fools. We insult them. Raka is the word there. The idea of, of, of you abuse them with your words. All of a sudden now it goes from being just angry to now I'm using my words to weaponize to tear down. Rabbi Joseph Telshkin, I hope I'm saying his name correctly, Telyuskin said this in his, or he talks about this in his book, Words Hurt, Words That Heal. Because he would go around and he would speak and carry on conferences and he would ask the people in the, in the audience, he said, how many of y'all can go 24 hours without talking derogatory about somebody else? beat them down with your words or talk about them to someone else. Just basically use your words to tear someone down. And there would be some raise their hand. Most people would not. They'd laugh and chuckle. They couldn't make it 24 hours without talking about someone else. This is what he said in his book. He said, those who can't answer yes must recognize that you have a serious problem. If you cannot go 24 hours Without drinking liquor, you're addicted to alcohol. If you cannot go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. Similarly, if you cannot go 24 hours without 
saying unkind words about others, you've lost control over your tongue. The tongue is a powerful, dangerous weapon if we're not careful. It's ironic, again, James chapter 1, verse 19, marries both anger and words together when he tells us to be quick to hear, but be slow, control your speech, and control your anger. It's not a world in which we live that people will spout off and say things. Well, I was just vetting, just venting it out there, getting it out there. I'm fine now. The problem is at least the shrapnel behind us. One of the marks of a spirit-filled individual is they never lose self-control. They're able to control their words. Number three, you initiate the path towards reconciliation. Now here's where he's going to turn the storyline and he's going to from go from talking about the offended to talking to the offender, okay? If you look at verse 23 and, and, and follow along as he makes this switch, and he says this, he says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, so somebody's got something against you and you're there in your worship time and you're here in the worship service or you're in your home private devotional time at home or you're wherever you are, you're driving down the car listening to praise music and all of a sudden God shows up in that moment and he says, you remember that person and how you're, how that person's hurt because of you? You're just going to go on? You're just going to carry on? No, you need to, he gives us three imperatives here. Now, I got four words, four phrases highlighted here. But first imperative is to leave. The second imperative is to go. And the third imperative is to be reconciled. So leave where you're at. Right, right now, ex post haste, you need to go. When you go, uh, excuse me, you need to leave. And then you need to go to the problem. Go to the person you've hurt. Go to the person who's been offended by you. And then in a very unique word that's only used one time in the Greek language or in the Greek New Testament, be reconciled. Not a foreign concept. Other words are used, but this word's only used one time. All in the imperative. Do this, do this, do this, do this. The next one, come to terms quickly. Sounds like an imperative, right? It's actually a participle. It's a present. So something you're doing now. Active, you're doing it. It's not being done to you. Participle, it's ongoing. Think about the sermon. Think about when Jesus gave the Great Commission. It's a going. It's a participle that we're constantly going, making disciples. It's not ending. So it is here. This is a participle that we are going to be coming to terms with. It's not quick and fast. Sometimes the coming to terms takes a while. But it is your intent to go and be reconciled. If there's anything that I've experienced in 33, four years of pastoring. It's one of the heart-wrenching things when a couple comes to me, and again, I'll code the language here, and one has done stupid. And they're trying to figure out, can we make it? Is it worth the fight? Is it worth working on it? Is it worth the healing process? One over here has been run over by a Mack truck. This one over here is like, I need to save my marriage. What am I going to do? How can we do this? 
and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I can't say I'm sorry enough. And this person maybe says, okay, you're forgiven, but I'm still hurt. I'm still run over by a Mack truck. How do you balance the two out? And the longer I've talked to, work with the, the couple, this person who's done the offense typically gets tired of this person's slower healing process. It's like, we've been talking about this for three months now. Uh, it may take three years. You don't get to control the healing process. It is a process of healing. Next Sunday, we're going to be in verse 27. It's PG-13 next week. I'll let you read ahead on that one. Um, But I mean, again, the Sermon on the Mount is getting into some real life issues here. And here's the reality. It's going to take two people to be reconciled. It takes one to forgive. I can forgive you and release you. But if we're going to be whole, if we're going to be together, it's going to take two of us working on it. Luke twelve fifty eight. go to your accuser before the magistrate. Make an effort to settle with him. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Doing everything I can to be at peace with them. Choose your anger wisely. Don't weaponize your words. Realize this, that you need, might be the one who needs to initiate reconciliation, but number three is trust God with the justice. Trust God with the justice. Take your Bibles and look a little bit further down. Again, there's six of these. We're not going to be able to hit each one of them for six weeks. So I want to go down to to verse 38. It says, you have heard, again, similar phrase, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Sounds even. You did me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other also. If anyone could sue you, Take your tunic, let him take your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Have you ever noticed there's no, never any traffic jams the second mile? It's like nobody wants to go the second mile. He's like, no, no, this is how far you're supposed to go. I'm stopping. No, 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 go the second mile. Now, let me tell you what's not saying before I tell you what it is saying. It's not saying if you're in an abusive situation, Keep being abused. He is not saying that. In fact, he gives three different examples. And the whole principle behind this is that I'm not going to levy justice on you. It's not my role to even the score. It's not my role to make you pay. It's not my job to make you suffer like I've suffered. It's not my job. Remember that verse that we just read, verse 18? It said, it said, uh, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Well, guess what? It says in the very next verse, verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written again, he quotes from the Old Testament here, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's the job of our God to take care of evening the scores. If there's a score to be even, it's God's job. And this is not just one-off. 
You find this throughout the Old Testament in 1 Samuel and Psalms and Jeremiah and Hosea and Joel. He's constantly calling us to say, hey, God, God's got this. Let God be God. He's going to bring justice to a broken relationship. See, what happens is we take on anger and then anger takes on us. Anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. If we're not careful, we'll let anger take over and rule us. I've realized this. As a leader, as a pastor, as an aide on the Enneagram, I have hurt and I have offended people. And I hate that. I really, 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 really hate that. But it's true of all of us. Not only have I done that, but I've also had it done to me. And I can't, I can control what I do to others. I can't control what they do to me, but I can control what it does to me. And what I want to do to them. And how I'm going to even the score. I had a good friend of mine tell me as I was working through some, what I would call betrayals, counselor friend of mine said, I was, I was on point. I mean, I was just like, here's what was done and here's what I did. And here's, I had it all lined out like a lawyer in a court case. Counselor just said, Mike, do you realize you can be wrong and right at the same time? What do you mean? He says, you can be right on your principle and wrong on how you deal with it. You can be the one who's been hurt, betrayed. But you can be wrong in how you deal with it. I've got to own what I can own. I've got to own my hurt and how I've hurt others. But you know, when I look at this whole thing, I just see Jesus in it. Because in reality, I've offended God. My life my choices, my ways, your choices, your ways, your life has offended God. And it has not made God happy. Read Isaiah chapter 1, just chapter 1. There's others. But it does not make God happy. He becomes angry. He's been offended. But God doesn't weaponize his words. He doesn't call out Raka. He doesn't Send us to the fiery pit of hell, that which you all deserve. Okay? But what he does is he uses his words to begin to restore. Because what he does next is he is the initiator of reconciliation. He's the one who starts it. Come now. Let us settle this. Says the Lord, though your sins are scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red and crimson, I will make them white. The beauty of Jesus in what he does. He's offended. He doesn't weaponize his words. He actually, actually initiates us back into a relationship with him. And then beautifully, yet tragically, God is just as well. 
There's not a sin that has been committed on this earth in my life, your life, or anybody else's that hasn't had to experience the justice of God. The thing is, Jesus took the justice of God. Jesus took the punishment. Christ suffered for our sins. For all time, he never sinned. He died for our sins that he might bring us to God. Listen, it's the gospel story. In every relationship we live, in every day of our life, we live the gospel story. We choose our anger wisely. We don't weaponize our words. We initiate reconciliation. And we trust God with the justice. Because just like he was so gracious to us, we need to be gracious to others. Would you bow your heads with me? The most important anger that needs to be appeased is the anger between us and God. And Jesus took all the weight of that anger. All the justice of a holy God. He took it for you and me. Do you know Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Have you given your life to Jesus? Let's not talk about any other relationship until we talk about the relationship you have with Jesus. Because if you don't, right now, here and now, say, Jesus, I thank you. I worship you. I give my life to you. For you took my shame, my guilt, and you bore it for me. But maybe you have somebody. That's somebody that you'd really just never like to see again on this planet. You just soon that they not breathe the same air, live in the same zip code as you. What would it look like for you to live out the gospel in that relationship? Father, you know our hearts, you know every single relationship that we have, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Father, we also know that you endured so much taking on so much for us. Father, all I can offer you is my filthy rags. All I can offer you is my brokenness. But I say, God, you can have it all. And I pray that, Father, I will take that same gospel story into every single relationship of my life. You can have in Jesus name Amen would you stand and worship us thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast to stay up to date on all things GPC follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram as you go be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people live sent